So I've got that little uh, head cold thing that everybody else has been getting, so you'll have to put up with my voice a little bit today. And, uh, and it may get me enough that I have to have a, have a seat on the stool at some point. We'll see. I made it to the first service, but um, uh, we're, we'll, we'll be fine. Um, so last week, last week, as we were unpacking the topic of discipleship, um, uh, Blake mentioned that following Christ is, is extra tough when we don't have insight into his instructions, um, into his commands, or into his directions for us. Now, that makes it pretty much impossible to follow him. And we really have two paths um, for knowing what God's uh, direction is for us. One is, of course, his word. That's why we unpack it Sunday after Sunday. And in fact, in a few weeks, um, Lord willing, we'll be back uh, to going through that systematically. That's the plan, is that in March, then we'll pick back up in 1 Samuel. In the meantime, um, we're building towards a series of conversations, and we're continuing to do that as we've looked at our the pillars of who we are as a church as we, we look at identity about who we are as a church at the beginning of every year. And in this year, as we're moving towards a conversation through um, some passages in Nehemiah, um, as our church is moving into a, a season of capital campaign and having some conversations about that kind of stuff, um, the, the key in looking at God's Word and unpacking that, and then the other one, the conversation with God that we call prayer. That's how we get direction from Him. And I will tell you, in some ways, for me, prayer can be hard. Um, I'll unpack that a little bit, but let me start here. Um, and again, y'all don't have this verse up there uh, on this, for the screen, so just listen. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So let me, let me just tell you first, when I'm studying or preparing, when I'm, when I'm digging into God's Word, um, that, that feels like a, that's a very powerful conversation to me. I feel like I'm in an intimate relationship with God the whole time I'm doing that. Um, it, it's almost like I have a, and if this sounds negative or, or demeaning to God in any way, I apologize for that, but it feels like when I'm diving into God's Word, it's like I've got a, a co-researcher there with me, uh, pointing and guiding and and unpacking things for me and showing me things and revealing things to me. And it's, it's maybe the most powerful time um, in my relationship with God um, when it comes to the intimate conversation that I think probably the people who know him best have all the time. But when it comes to that time um, for the undivided attention version of prayer, that's hard for me. Um, now, undivided attention is hard for me at any time. That's just part of how I'm wired and who I am. So it's not surprising that that my failure, uh, my, my shortcomings apply to my relationship with God as well. However, something that Chris Sherrod said this weekend um, at the men's retreat stood out to me about this topic. He talked about how we have this habit nowadays of, of talking about our struggles, of, of kind of revealing our struggles. Here's where I have a hard time. Here's where I struggle. And what we neglect to do is confess our sin. And those aren't the same thing. We've become in this hyper-therapeutic world now where we've taken two things, politics and therapy, and tried to turn them into a religion. Politics is great for politics. It's a terrible religion. Don't, don't fall into that false religion. And therapy, obviously I believe, is very powerful and potent in our lives. But hear me clearly, it is a terrible religion. Um, it does not make for a good way to get to know God in and of itself. And so when we talk about our issues, if we're not careful, we think we've now confessed our sins, and we have not. 
And so here's what stood out to me as he was saying that, is that because I had here at the beginning of the sermon planning to, to quote, talk about my issues when it comes to my challenges with undivided attention and prayer. But this is what stands out to me. I have even seen examples of God work in a way that I, I connect with prayer. I'm going to unpack that a little more before we're done, but, but that idea. I remember a few years ago, and I don't remember exactly when, although they might, um, and I've told them both this story, but um, that, that we were early on as a church years ago, um, we had a crisis in that we had a lot of people coming to church who were unchurched or poorly churched or traumatically churched, and we want those people here. We want you here. There's a place for that. Um, but, but those people were coming and they needed to be ministered to and they were bringing their children and their children needed to be ministered to and there were lots and lots of children and lots and lots of them and they weren't prepared to minister. And so we actually, as a staff, we prayed to God and said, please, Lord, you need to send some people who are ready to minister now. Like when they show up, they're ready to go to work right then. Because the, the two-year training period it takes an unchurched person to be ready to minister if they're involved, we don't, have, we don't have it. And so we need you to send some people. And over the very next week or weeks, I don't remember exactly, I want to say the very next week in two services, but maybe I'm wrong about that. That's my memory of it. The very, I look over and there's Jeff and Jenny Lay with their family sitting there and I'm like, yes, that's, yep, that's who I meant. And the next, I think it was the next service, the Wallaces, or maybe it was the next week, uh, uh, Jason and Hallie Wallace and their family were in the service. I was like, yep, you're nailing it. This is exactly who I'm talking about. God provided in a very powerful way. And by the way, they're both on our leadership board now. Like this is a, this is a powerful, or have been recently, this is a powerful picture of, uh, in fact, oh, oh, now I can do that. I forgot, I almost forgot again. I can do that, I can do that right here. Our, we, you can now, starting right now, by the way, um, uh, nominate people to be on the leadership board. We, we go through that rotation every year. And I think we've got four this year that are going to need to be nominated um, and voted in. And it says on the ballot, the ballots are spread around the, for the next few weeks, it's available. And by the way, this is, one, please ask them before you nominate them. That's just, that's just mean when you, when you nominate. That's, that's not a funny prank. Please don't do that to anybody. Um, but um, this is, it's not a personality uh, contest. It's, it's not... The, you know, the most, it's not the most clever or, or the, the most successful. We're not looking for the most talented. We're not looking for the, the best dressed, um, any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's not the standards. We, we're looking for people who, as we sang today, um, and as we will continue to sing today, who trust in the Lord with all their heart and don't lean on their own understanding. Um, people who acknowledge Him with all their ways. That's, that's who we want to be in positions of leadership and decision making here at this church. If you know someone like that, and you think there's someone who could serve in, in leadership and decision-making for our church, then ask them. And if they're open, we can talk to them about it. So anyway, that's a, um, an, an kind of a word from our sponsor there. But the, um, uh, just, just so you'll know. And, and so here's what's wild. God, God will answer a prayer like that, and then I don't pray next time. What is that? So I think, I think thinking about it, surely... Surely what it means when we do this, surely the sin, the, the fruit of prayerlessness is from the sin of vanity. Vanity is a version of pride, and vanity is the sin that means if I'm not involved, it's not that important. I mean, if I'm not the one doing it, it's not that important. That's vanity. And in fact, 
So the, the sin I apparently need to confess is the sin of vanity, that I don't feel like I have the, quote, time, I guess, to focus my attention on Him um, in those moments. Again, there's so many other ways that my relationship with God and my prayerful walk with Him has grown like I hope yours has. Um, but all of us, this is, this is an issue that we need to be aware of, is that we aren't easily distracted from the author and perfecter of our faith, from the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. Um, that shouldn't be, we should not be easily distracted from that. So, so it, they're rooted in the sin of vanity in our hearts. So I'm going to pray for all of us, myself uh, in particular here in a second. I also want to pray while we're praying. Um, we have a group of people who, um, who are going to be going to Thailand in the next few days. Some of you are familiar with the Mayflower Church, a small Chinese church that's fled government persecution and seeking asylum in the United States. Um, several of us have been ministering or trying to engage or whatever in different ways um, through South Spring. And so we're going to be sending three people from here, Blake and Glenn Price and Elijah Foch. And um, there have been many people who have been working with them and are going to continue to work with them. Um, and so we're going to send them over to Thailand to engage with them, to be doing training and equipping and serving in a lot of different ways. And so we want to pray for them while they're there and while they're home. Um, and in fact, uh, Scott Cottingham, I think I saw him over there somewhere, um, is going to be, he's already been, he's done um, this, he's already been over there and done this. And they're going to all gather over here at the end of the service and pray together if you would like to pray again with them before they go. But I'd love for us to to pray for them now and then pray for us as our um, aligning our hearts in what prayer means seems appropriate, right? Father, I thank you for, um, for who you are. I thank you that you are the source of our help, that you're the source of our wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would be our vision and our best thought. We pray that we would trust in you with all our heart. Protect us from our own agendas and from our own understanding. Father, as we are looking um, for those to be on our leadership board um, I pray for your protection and your provision. Lord, as we are talking about, um, we pray as the, the confessing the sin of prayerlessness that so many of us face. Um, the sin that comes from the vanity of not praying to you all the time. And Lord, I thank you for when you are so present all the time. And I thank you when we're able to engage with you in that way. And now, Lord, I pray that you would bring us into alignment with you in yet more ways, nearer and nearer to your heart. Father, I pray for these um, who are going to be going overseas. I pray for the safe travels. I pray for a useful and valuable time. Um, that they're able to redeem the time well while they're there. And I pray that you would bring them um, the Mayflower Church um, safely home over here. And, uh, and Lord, maybe if it's your will someday, them and others to be sent back to the gospel continue to spread in China. But we need people doing that here as well. So Lord, I pray that you would provide that as you see fit. We trust you. Even when we don't understand, we trust you. And we do so in your son's name. Amen. So what makes prayer tough for us? I think sometimes for rational Christianity, with all of its strengths, it can cause us to mistrust things we don't fully understand. Things we can't unpack. Things that we don't see the mechanics of it. Then we go, I don't, I don't get this. I don't get why this works the way that it does. I don't, I don't see how me asking God to accomplish something now when he's already, he already knows all things and has before the creation of time, how does me praying for something now have any impact in that? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, 
Okay, granted, he also knew I would pray before the creation of time, and so somehow his perfect knowledge of all things integrates in a way that is just beyond me, and I can accept that, but it just means prayer is not like a toaster that I can dismantle and look at all the working parts in it and see, oh, that's how that works, and that's how that works. And that shouldn't be super surprising because prayer at its fundamental is not just a behavior, it's, it's sourced in a relationship, not in just an activity. It's not just a system that I can, again, dismantle to try to understand it. There's something more to it than that. But sometimes in the church, in, the, in a rational Christianity, we struggle when we don't understand it. It doesn't mean it's not rational. It doesn't mean it's not reasonable. It just means we're not getting it. And that's tough for us sometimes. And some will criticize, especially in the deconstruction world. You see people criticize the Bible as though it has this childish, unsophisticated, unadult kids sitting in Santa's lap attitude about prayer. And I can only assume that when people say that, that they've not read the Bible. Um, maybe they're listening to our prayers, and maybe sometimes our prayers do come across like that. Maybe sometimes our prayers are like that. But the ones in the Bible, um, does, the Bible does not present in some kind of shallow, petty, rose petal picture of prayer. Not even close. The prayers of the Bible are beautiful, and they are terrible, and they're encouraging, and they're heartbreaking, just like our prayers are. Um, Emma, Emma, my uh, 10-year-old, has a habit of getting up with me, and she'll come with me to church on Sunday mornings really early. And this was her idea, and we're, we still don't fully understand what made her decide to do that, and she doesn't either. She just wants to come do it, and I'm certainly not going not gonna to be negative about that. I love time with her, and so she comes with me, and we talk on the way to church, and it's really great. And today I asked her about prayer, and when she prays and what she prays for, it was really interesting. She said that one of the main things that she prays for is that God would soften her heart. And I told her that was one of the most mature things I'd ever heard a 10-year-old say ever, that God would soften her heart. Um, what a beautiful and, and heartbreaking prayer all at the same time. What a, what a beautiful thing to get to experience with her um, as we looked at that. I'll give you a quick example from the Bible of what I mean. Let me start with Moses. So Moses is one of those people in the Bible who seem to have kind of a special relationship with God, right? It just seems like he, his relationship with God is just kind of different, different than mine. Certainly, the way he just seemed to kind of hang out with God a lot. It's like they played cards together or chess or something. I mean, they just, they just hung out a lot together. And, and Moses had big emotions. You may not have noticed this about Moses. You may have this uh, Sunday school or, or false uh, imagery of Moses as a guy who kind of had it all together all the time with his big beard and his big robe and his, his big walking stick. And that this is just kind of, he kind of all had it um, together. But he didn't. He had big emotions, and, uh, and they sometimes cost him. He was raised in the household of Pharaoh, and that did not disperse these emotions. At one point, he lashed out and murdered a man. That's, I mean, that's pretty extreme, right? I mean, we still think of that as pretty, I hope you think of that as pretty extreme, right? That you lash out like that. We see, we see Moses be reactionary in regards to his anger, other times his fear, Sometimes his anxiety, his distress, and even in his exhaustion. He has to be confronted during the time we see him in the scripture. He has to be confronted about his emotional outbursts by his wife, his father-in-law, his friends, and several times God. In the midst of that, one more time in his life, as he's now put up with the people of Israel for 80 years plus, and he's, he's now going to, they're, they're at, the, at the cusp of entering the promised land, and Moses one more time lashes out in his anger, and he strikes a rock rather than speaks to it. 
And God tells him, you know what? We've talked about this a lot of times. And this time it's going to cost you. This time, now you don't get to enter the promised land. And I don't know about you, but I've always struggled with that. What kind of a God takes his child who he clearly adores all the way to the door and then closes it? Just because he has an angry outburst. That's a scary thought and it's a weird thought, but it gets even more difficult than that. I want you to listen to this prayer by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Moses says this starting verse 24, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such things and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. Until this week, I had never noticed that Moses begs God. Please let me go see it. God tells him no. Here's another example. That's not cookie cutter or pretty, is it? How about the example of Elijah? Now this one's a little funny, actually, in the way that it plays out. At least it's ironic for sure. Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them, and had them slaughtered. It's, it's one of the most bloodthirsty and glorifying scenes we see anywhere in the Bible as one man and God go up against hundreds and hundreds of, of pagan prophets who want him dead. And he creates a, a, a kind of an at-noon showdown with them, um, like an old western, and, and they're going to call down fire from heaven, and the prophets, the, the pagan prophets fail and fail and fail to reach out to their God, this evil twisted God, the Baals, and, and it's unsuccessful, and then Elijah steps up, and, and everything about it is he's just, he's just, just showing off. I mean, he dumps everything, covers everything with water, he shows off all these different ways, and then in just a, a simple sentence calls on God to send down fire, and fire comes down and just incinerates everything. And the people of Israel rise up and kill the prophets of Baal. It's this wonderful, victorious moment. But instead of, of going and celebrating, here's what Elijah does. 1 Kings chapter 19, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now. O Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. You ever been there? When you're already exhausted, suicidal, and God says, I've still got another journey for you? That's tough. But here's the great irony in this. There's actually, I found five different people in the Bible who pray for death. But this is the most sincere of them, I think, by far. When I read the others, some of them sound petty or, or petulant or whatever. I don't see that. I think here Elijah truly, honestly wants God to slay him. I am done. Just finish me off. Please just kill me. I don't think this is him just lashing out. I think he means it. And think just for one second of the irony of the very symbol of the prophets of Scripture praying for death, and it's Elijah. Does that strike anybody as ironic? Because God is going to tell Elijah no. And he's going to keep telling him no. 
And in fact, of all of human history, the only person for whom God has not answered the prayer, let me die, is this guy. He never lets Elijah die. At no point does Elijah die. He takes him straight into heaven. That is wild that the guy who sincerely prays, I am your prophet. Again, Elijah is another one of those who has conversations with God. And God flat out tells him, no. Nope, I got a journey for you. Can I die now? No. Got a journey instead. And I'm still not going to let you die. And I'm still going to let you die. And I'm still not going to let you die. And I know there's debate over Enoch and maybe a few others, but Elijah's the only one who it's absolutely abundantly clear the man never died. That's a wild concept that the one dude asking to die doesn't. It's easy for us to pray that. In fact, that's a prayer any of us could pray, and eventually God's going to answer it. I mean, if you want a high, if you want a high score for answered prayers, just make sure and pray for something that's going to happen, right? Isn't that what we do? God, I pray that someone would come up tomorrow. I feel like your odds are pretty good. I think that's probably going to. Now, eventually you'll get one wrong, but think of all the ones you'll get right up until then, right? Like, I just pray that this will, it's, it's, it's as I had a professor tell me, it's like praying for rain, right? I mean, it probably eventually is going to rain. And then you go like, see, look at that. That was great. What we, when we pray for something that's outrageous or that's bigger than us or that's grander than us, think of the courage that requires in fact, we're going to look at all these different things people prayed for, the irony uh, of, of all the different things that people have prayed for throughout Scripture. And knowing from our podcast that this is going to be the topic, um, Alan Pig sent me a text, I guess yesterday, last night, saying, think of the courage that it took to pray some of these prayers in the first place. Think of how much courage it takes to ask God to send down fire from heaven. Anybody else tried it? Yeah, me neither. Especially not in front of a whole bunch of people. Like think of the courage that it takes to pray for what, what, what these, the women who pray for children, what, it, what the courage that takes. Because God may tell you no. And you get to wrestle with the heartbreak of being told no with these things. So here's what I want to do. I want to jump into some of the prayers of the Bible and saturate ourselves with them. I want us to be soaked to the bone with some of these prayers this morning. And, and I want us to, to, um, to really experience them. I'm not going to spend much time unpacking them. I just want us to experience them. And by the way, if you're interested in it, I found a website, thank you for whoever made this website, that's called hopefaithprayer.com, and they list, according to them, all 222 prayers of the Bible, which is amazing. All of them are listed, and in fact, the person lists who prayed them, and when they prayed them, and whether or not and God answered them the way they asked. Now, I'll just tell you, there are dozens that God tells them no. You can go back a few weeks when we started into 1 Samuel um, on the website, and we picked up, which we'll pick up again in March again, Lord willing, we unpacked the details of Hannah's incredible prayer. That's one that we've unpacked, the prayer of Hannah. We're going to, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, unpack the prayers, the prayer of Nehemiah. Um, you'll notice as with the prayers we look at this morning, none of the prayers of Jesus will be there. That's because next week Paul's going to be taking us through a conversation of the prayers of Jesus, our rabbi, and us learning to follow him too. Um, but let's start back to with Moses again. One of the great prayers of Scripture. This is the prayer after the parting of the sea. And God rescued his people through the sea. His sister is going to turn this into a song. But let's read the prayer. And I just want you to be saturated with this prayer. Just listen and experience it. If Exodus 15, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In your greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap, and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be to have the fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. And you blew your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who's like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You'll bring them in and plant them on your, holy, on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode and sanctuary. O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. What a powerful prayer of a man who knew God well who'd experienced his goodness. God, who Moses even still learning after all these years is unlike anyone else who calls himself God. He can provide even when no one else can. I picture Moses standing on the shore of the sea, seeing the waters back placid, except that there are dead Egyptians down at the bottom. And him saying, look at what you did. Look at what you did. You brought us through that. God can provide better than anyone else can. And one of the things that God can provide better than anyone else can is mercy. Mercy is a fascinating conversation that I think too often we, we, have, we face the challenge um, of people feeling like um, God can't forgive this. I have sunken so low that God cannot pull me out. Um, or people who think, this is the, this, these are the ones that I just don't understand at all, those who think they need no mercy. That always just boggles my mind. Like I've said so many times, it's like they've never met themselves. They don't recognize, they don't know well enough how badly they need mercy. Anyone who thinks that they're going to approach God from a position of self-justification, when in fact he would be right to judge all of us in a way that would leave us ended, destroyed, judged, um, and condemned and instead, he is filled with mercy. Someone who knew that, though they were just as human and messed up as the rest of us, is a guy named Jonah. Here's Jonah's prayer. Starting in Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I laid down to the land. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. 
But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you that I have what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I think when we, when we learn the story of Jonah and the great fish when we're little, we think of the fish as being the punishment that God had on Jonah for running from God. But the truth is the fish was his provision. It was his mercy. Being thrown into the sea was the judgment. Jonah thrown into the sea to die. In fact, I had one seminary professor who he believes that Jonah died and that God resurrected him. God raised him from the dead and, and brought him back to the surface through the fish. I don't know how I feel about that with the, the poetry language here of this prayer, but it's a beautiful prayer of a guy who recognizes, listen, I was done. I was done. And yet God rescued me. I called out in the last breath and God rescued me. That's all I had left was one more breath. And I bubbled it up to the surface as everything closed in around me and God rescued me. Another example of that type of mercy is restoration. Who can restore us to himself? Who can restore us to him when we've, when we've sinned against him, when we've moved against him? Um, it's amazing that Jonah knows God well enough that the very God who is disciplining him is the God he seeks out to give him mercy. And we see that again with David in maybe one of the greatest prayers of all time, the 51st Psalm. After David has essentially taken a, taken a checklist of the Ten Commandments and checked breaking all of them off in about a six-month period... He then gets called out by God through the prophet Nathan. You are the man, the very, the very judgment you would cast on someone else. Now, have you ever had a you are that man moment with God? If, if, if you haven't, um, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to tell you, I'll pray that you have one, but I don't know if that's being nice or not. Um, uh, I, I got to reason not that long ago, having one of those whiny fits with God where I was frustrated um, when other people make plans and they don't involve me, people who I love and they reach conclusions without talking with me and they, and they, they don't involve me in the conversation and how I would love to be able to be involved in those conversations and how cool it is to be able to be involved in people's lives as they move and change and stretch and, and wouldn't it be great and I don't understand why people don't involve me in that and God's like, you are that Man, that's how I feel, Chris, when you don't involve me in your plans and what you're doing, and why wouldn't you come to me? I am, after all, the creator of heaven and earth, and might would be smart to involve me. And I said, you know what? We're talking about me here, God, not you. <laughs> Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I love the way both Jonah and David in their conversations with God recognize, I'm going to miss out on your blessings if I am not part of what's being restored here. I need to be restored. I love Jonah's insight. Listen, if you insist on trusting in anything other than God, you're missing out on steadfast love forever. David is saying, yeah, I could go offer a bunch of bulls. I could go, to the, go offer a bunch of sacrifices. But the truth is, what you're asking for from me is to rebuild Jerusalem first. I think that's a metaphor. Get things right with you first. My broken and contrite spirit, bring that to you. Let that be my offering to you. I've been crushed by the weight of my own sin and my brokenness. It's a, it's a beautiful thing and a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so I would, I would encourage all of us to have those prayers and those interactions with Him to recognize we don't come to Him from a position of justification, but in need of mercy. The good things that people pray for, they pray for children in the Bible, and they pray for spouses, and they pray for guidance and victory. They pray for wisdom, support, justice, dedication, salvation, help for loved ones, comfort, and intimacy with Him. These require courage and faith even to throw out to Him in the first place. To even come to Him with a broken spirit asking these things. And part of that's because God does not promise to provide in the way we ask. And in fact, my experience is, to be perfectly honest, He rarely provides in the way that I ask. His provision is bigger than that. He seems to understand, obviously, in ways that I can't. Those who know God best are quick to pray to Him. So I assume when we don't pray, it's because we don't know Him well enough. Mary, the mother of Jesus, prayed this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. These are the prayers we need to saturate ourselves with. I'm going to jump on down in my notes, guys, to, uh, to Matthew 17. So here's, here's what's interesting. We're trusting in the character of God when we pray. We're trusting in Him to redeem the time that we spend in prayer. We're not trusting in our own understanding of the mechanics. What we're trusting in is Him and His character. That He can redeem the prayers that we pray. Um, I want you to think about this. Here we started with Moses and Elijah, the representatives of the law and the prophets. And, and there's a fascinating, and, and, and even the heartbreak of recognizing that Moses had not entered into the promised land. But I want to I share with you something that I think is, helps us understand what's going on here. 1,500 years after Moses dies, not entering the promised land. We have an account in Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Incidentally, a high mountain in Israel. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, 
there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking to him. In the end, God answered Moses' prayer. And in a way that Moses could never have dreamed of it. He could never even have thought that God would say, there's going to come a day when I'm going to settle your feet on the promised land. And it's, by the way, it's going to be a week before the whole promise is fulfilled. That the whole purpose of this whole thing is fulfilled. You're going to get to be there and have a conversation with Jesus of Nazareth, my son, the second person of the Trinity, on earth before his death and burial and resurrection, his crucifixion. As Jesus is finding out all these details and learning and coming before God, can you imagine there's going to come a day in about a week when Jesus is going to fall on his face before the Father and say, please let this cup pass before me. And God the Father is going to tell him, no. Nope, this is the plan. You're going to take that cup and you're going to drink it all the way to the bottom. And God looks back into his people and draws two forward who he's told no before. Is it important that they're there to represent the law and the prophets? Sure. Absolutely. But I think maybe more potently, these are two men who knows what it's like to be loved by the Father and to know him well and to be told no. And, and the conversation that must have gone on there. How redemptive it must have been for Moses when his feet first put weight on the promised land. You can imagine Elijah going, it's pretty sweet, isn't it? It's a good moment. This was the moment that convinced Peter that the gospel was real. This is a powerful picture. Two men came to talk with Jesus. Jesus is going to pray for the Father, let a cup of wrath pass from him, and the Father is not going to give him a yes. See, we pray because of our faith in the character of God. His ability to redeem our time spent praying to Him. Not faith in our own understanding and the mechanics of prayer. So may God bless us. God, bless us. We're yours. The application simple. Pray. Talk to God. Be open, sincere, honest. You see the ugliness of prayer and the beauty of prayer all played out together. So that we would experience the reality of who he is. I want to ask you to stand with me as we wrap up our time. Um, and that you would, you would be able to engage with the God who though he says no, he is scheming for something even better. In ways that we can't understand yet. And that's uncomfortable. I don't like it either. But it's still the way that we pray. Trusting in him and not in our own understanding. So if you, if you would like to come up here and pray for any reason about anything, we would love to have you come up here and pray. If you want to pray where you are, we encourage that. If you need to wrap, grab some people around you and pray, that's great. If you need to head over to a corner that says need some prayer with a big old question mark, there'll be somebody there to pray with you. Um, if, if, if in any way you want to pray or need to pray, please do. Um, if you have been through our welcome home process and you're ready to come and join this dysfunctional family, um, we would love to have you come and do that as well. If you've been through that process and are ready to do that, we'd love to introduce you to everybody. Um, and you can do that during this time of invitation as well. To wrap up this time as we're preparing to pray and sing together. All the prayers, by the way, we've been singing prayers all morning. Um, Psalm 30 says this, Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name, for His anger is but for a moment, His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning.
the very words of God.